After 25 years in the fashion industry, I've realized that fashion is not really about the clothes, it's about the people. I'm Laura Van Root-Pool, and this is What We Wore. Georgia Dant is pioneering a new chapter for fashion with her innovative brand, Marfa Stance. Her focus on function and style and creating seasonless garments defines what sustainable brands will look like in the future. Georgia Dant, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast and excited to be talking to you from, you're in Jackson Hole. Yep, yep. I'm in a cabin in the, in the, heart of Jackson Hole and it's it's very beautiful. So thank you for having me, Laura. <laughs> and you warned me earlier if there are some moose mating calls in the background. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll acknowledge and ignore. <laughs> <laughs> and you're there with a lot of friends of ours, the, the gals from Of Rare Origin and Mirren Crosby and um, you're there for- a, Yeah, a, absolutely. A... I'm actually wearing a Rare Origin right now. I bought it yesterday. Be my honey. Um, yeah, I'm here with with a bunch of amazing brands. We had a trunk show all together yesterday, which was really incredible. I've never done something like this before, so yeah, it was, it was really fun. And and also, um, we're friends with Laline. They were there too. And oh, so nice. It was it was a whole it was a whole gaggle of us. It's unusual, actually, and really helpful because I think a lot of times, especially, I mean, I think for me as an independent retailer, but I think for independent designers, you don't really um, have a lot of opportunities to be together and commiserate and sort of ask them their opinions about how it's, what it's, you're doing. And last night we were sitting at dinner. We all had dinner afterwards as a celebration, and and I looked around and I was just so happy to see this table of courageous women all together supporting yeah. each other there was perhaps 30 of us wow and I just felt such kind of I don't know an overwhelming thankfulness that we can all just actually share this experience rather than be in competition with yeah. each other it's more that we're actually there's a camaraderie between us and we all bought from each other we all support each other yeah. it's really <laughs> yeah, very nice <laughs> and it's a huge therapy session of course yes <laughs> I, I think I'm right. I, mean, I think your your brand started during the pandemic, so I think um, right before right, yeah. and so so That's being the- able to be to be able to discuss things and like, am I crazy? Am I doing this right? Am I doing this yes. wrong? I mean, that's really amazing. Yes. And it's, it's a journey as a, as a sort of, you know, female founder doing this on her, on my own. Yeah. It, it's quite a, it's quite a lonely experience at times. So it's, yeah. it's amazing to sort of have that support from other people doing exactly the same thing. And the ones that I mentioned actually, and as well as Laleen, I mean, you have mother, daughter from a rare origin yes. and Mir and Crosby, you have sisters and Laleen, yes. you have best friends and yes. I'm sure you have a lot of support but you're on your own and so I think yeah. that 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 merits a lot more support too <laughs> <laughs> well it's it's I mean I have an amazing team it's it's definitely not that I do this alone so it's it's I'm very thankful for my my team and and you know our customers also are just incredibly supportive and yeah. and I'm I'm eternally grateful to everyone that's that's helped my journey <laughs> But well, it's very nice to be among friends. Georgia, where are you from? I'm from I'm England. I was yes. born in Cambridge. <laughs> Can you hear the accent? <laughs> um, <laughs> slightly. Um, I'm yeah. Bo- was born in Cambridge, and um, I grew up. I grew up there, which was a, an amazing place to grow up in. I grew up on a farm, which was which was you know an incredible experience. At the time when I was growing up, I of course wanted only to be in the city, and now I'm only in the city. I long for the countryside. <laughs> But it was it was an incredibly creative experience actually growing up in a very rural setting next to a city that is obviously incredibly academic and 
historical. So I feel like I had a very um, nice upbringing in, in England, but I spent a lot of time in the, in the USA because of my dad's um, heritage. So I had a really nice balance between America and, and England. Were your parents professors? No, not at all. Not at all. My actually, my my father is a farmer. Oh, and, really? Uh, yeah. What do um, they What do they farm? It's arable, so it's barley, wheat, um, that sort of thing. And my mother actually, she is a housewife, but a kind of very avid gardener. So it's uh, it, we always have very nice organic food <laughs> at home. <laughs> How far is Cambridge from London? It's only one hour. It's, oh, okay. it's very close. So I was always in, in close proximity to, uh, you know, the city. And um, I would sort of frequently go there as much as possible. And I went to university in, in London as well. So um, I feel like I've, I've grown up in London, really. Growing up in Cambridge on, on the farm, do you think that the, the rural environment contributed to your creativity? And I think also you're an only child. Are you, am I right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And um, I, I mean, I have an only child. They're, they're oh, really full. Yeah. I mean, kind of like we were saying about the other, you know, designers with these partners, you have to really find your creativity alone, I think. Yes. Yeah. You have to be very independent, I think, in that search for creativity. And I think, it actually makes you a very resourceful person because you have to sort of find your own, I don't know, fun or your own sort of interests or or your own entertainment to an extent. Yeah. And I think that growing up in a very rural setting adds to that because, you know, you're you're you don't you're not surrounded by constant stimulus. You you sort of yeah are kind of relatively isolated and you're with nature. And I think that for me, nature is incredibly inspiring and it it sort of it, it makes you very grounded but also you can really dream of um and you can be creative you're surrounded by color and flowers the, and the best upbringing and also I think creating and my mom like I said my mother was a, a, is an avid gardener and I think creating something from nothing yeah. also was incredibly inspiring to me as a child and watching something grow and develop and change and yeah so for me it was it was amazing and I think being an only child has, has made me fiercely independent and know my own mind and sort of access my creativity and my imagination way more than if I had been surrounded by siblings, siblings perhaps <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean I was very social I was not I was not I'm not some kind of recluse but um, my mother made sure I was very socialized I always yeah. had friends around and I all my friends were boys so I was a real tomboy but but yeah it in, in the sort of, you know, when friends go home, you have to have that time alone. Well, I was going to say, I have noticed that in my daughter that she she definitely is social, but she really needs recovery time, especially when yes. we're around her cousins and these fa- loud sort of <laughs> families that, you know, it's yes. just like, a, we're, just, we're a quiet house. I mean, it just, yes. um, and there is time for reflection and thinking. Yes. Do you, what do you remember creating or making as a child? One of my really fond memories actually is going to um this department store with my with my mother and I don't know whether this exists in the US but I guess it does but um it's a department store that allowed you to pick a sort of dress pattern let's say or a shirt pattern or whatever it was and then it's within a haberdashery section of this department store and then you pick your fabric and you pick your buttons and you pick your whatever embellishment yeah. you want to add we used to sort of do that on a saturday morning or something and and buy a oh. few and then we'd go home and she'd teach me to make them and customize and it, it was oh. it was such a wonderful thing to to learn as a child and the excitement of creating something that was very unique to me was incredible and of course I, I went wild and picked all the <laughs> most awful fabrics <laughs> the most glittery things I could 
fine. And I'm totally the opposite now, but <laughs> I think I got it out of my system at a young age. <laughs> and did your mom teach you how to sew? Yes, we actually had a, like a sewing room, actually, an industrial overlocker, an industrial machine. And um, she would always be making things, curtains, bedspread. She made her own wedding dress. Like she's very creative oh, wow. in that sense. So yeah, she taught me to sew. I mean, I actually, the, the actual act of sewing, I don't like. <laughs> I was actually pretty <laughs> bad at it because I'm quite impatient. But the actually the choosing the components and sort yeah. of forming the piece yeah. was amazing. And she would mostly sew it. I, I would try. And, and so growing up, did you, what subjects were you attracted to? Did you, were you mostly into art or all sorts of things? I've always been very um, naturally able at art. I mean, I just, it's been sort of um, easy, easy for me to yeah. draw and paint and all that stuff, but I was actually not really that interested in it. I think, you know, sometimes when you, when something comes quite easy to you, you, yeah. well, the way I work is I like to try and learn something that I'm not very good at and, and be able to do it. So I actually was really interested in the science world, psychology, literature, but mostly it was science that I was really focused on actually as a, as a child. Um, and I studied it um, for my, my A-levels. I'm not sure what the equivalent of that is in, in the US, but um, I guess it's the age of like 17 to 19. Yeah. Um, and sort of, I, I guess I majored in, in chemistry and psychology and oh wow, it was the path I wanted to take. I guess I found it very creative and I, I loved the idea of problem solving um, and finding solutions to things, via this this medium at the same time I was introduced to this very inspiring art teacher who who said you know you've got this kind of skill why don't you why don't you you know be part of my class too and so I did and he introduced me to this textile teacher and I would never have ever thought of you know going into textiles it didn't really interest me actually as a career I met her and she was she was like well actually textiles and, and weaving and, and creating something from nothing is actually incredibly mathematical and it has a logic to it. And actually there's a real parallel there with, with your kind of thought process of, of, of chemistry. And I was like, okay, let me give this a go. And I, I ended up finding these parallels with chemistry and art that for me, it was just this, this unlock. And I was like, oh my goodness, uh. if I can apply this sort of more scientific logic and problem solving to to textiles and fashion, that's something that I could really, really be inspired by and, and, and go forward with that. And actually that's what I decided to do. And I ended up quitting chemistry and, and psychology. I still love psychology actually, but. Yeah, I was gonna say you're in fashion, you're doing you, psychology. You, yeah, you, you, exactly, every day um, <laughs> to myself as well. Um, but the idea for me of, of problem solving and, and and applying something that, that, you know, is not just artistic to fashion, but actually comes from a, a different place and fusing it with fashion, like style and function is something I'm really, really fascinated by, was the path I decided to take from, from this, this kind of change and fork I had in, in my schooling. Um, so, yeah, I went full steam ahead into, into fashion, actually, from, from the age of um, 18. Were your parents like, what's happening? Yeah, <laughs> they just went with it. They were like, okay. I think my mom was actually pretty pleased. <laughs> and so you went to London and studied fashion there. Yeah, I did. A, I did a work placement at um, Zandra Rhodes, actually. Um, oh, wow. Had, yeah. Oh my God. Crazy pink hair. Like, I mean, it was in, it was oh. incredible. It was all in her house. It was, there was prints everywhere. It was just, it was like this. <laughs> I've never, I, I had never experienced anything like this. I was, yeah, eight, 17 or 18 and I just, I was just like, wow, I just want to be part of this world. There's just like this, 
this magic and this alchemy and I was like okay so I it's not it wasn't my taste actually but I was like this is this process was incredible to me yeah so <laughs> that was the moment I I decided to move to London that was kind of my test I think it was my parents pushing me to test it before I right jumped in. changed career yeah um, so, <laughs> but I loved it I I was completely immersed in this world and I was like I want to be part of this world and so yeah I, I studied in in London um I studied at London College of Fashion and then I went on to study menswear um at uh, Middlesex University which was at the time a very good university for menswear design and why um, why menswear how did you how did that happen from Xandra Rhodes to menswear yeah exactly <laughs> That's not really any parallel with that. <laughs> I think it's because for me, the Zandra Rhodes experience was was amazing, but it it really showed me that I didn't want to do that. It was just it was just creativity everywhere. It was artistry everywhere. But for me, I I'm, I like a much more logical framework, and I I want I wanted to kind of find my niche in fashion because it, fashion the fashion world is is huge, and you know, mm. it's, I, for me, menswear was was really a craft and it was really a kind of framework and you had mm. parameters and you have boundaries but for me it was exciting to try and figure out how to innovate within those boundaries and and there definitely are rules yeah there are rules yeah. whereas women's wear it actually frightened yeah. me a bit because I was like yeah. well you could literally do anything and I don't really know where to start I'm very I'm sort of very men's wear yeah in my, in my look and so I I really enjoyed the challenge of learning something really thoroughly and then being able to find innovation within that framework I, I always call it my education I got a job at Burberry in London I was there for um, seven years for me it was my education and it really taught me well it taught me heritage like the, at the time the, the company was 150 years old so it was pretty amazing to me to see this this all the history and heritage of that company but how they were taking it forward into the future and I was there at a very interesting time it was 2005 that I joined through well seven years later I left um, but through that period it was when they were really the pioneers of of fusing fashion and technology and that was something that you know all the big luxury brands they were sort of archaic in their in their mentality in a sense yeah. whereas Christopher Bailey at Burberry was was pioneering this kind of digital age within fashion whereas everyone else was sort of rebelling against it kind yeah. of thing, or repelling it actually so yeah it was it was an amazing time and I think again it played to my interest in like how to kind of innovate and how to kind of push something and, and solve something and you know for me it, it was it was a, a really eye-opening experience well and, and so Christopher was a fascinating creature too because he sort of he became not only the, the designer, but he really spearheaded the entire, he became the CEO, I think, didn't yes. he at some point? Yeah. Yes. And I think to have those, that sort of duality in your brain and your yeah. um, way of operating is something that I feel that I really took from that experience. And I think I have a sort of duality with, in my way. I think and the, the product I produce has a real duality, but he, I think was, I really sort of looked up to, to his approach rather than just sort of, you know, making beautiful things for for people that just want to kind of buy something that's quite elaborate and statement he was actually thinking about things for a different reason and I really looked up to that technical also I mean it was like yeah. waterproof me you mean and yeah the, the, I mean, on a product level yeah the, the yeah the fact that the product was um had both style and function which is something yeah. that I really 
sort of lead my company with the, with that sort yeah. of that mantra. Um, but also the fact that you could take fashion and you could, I mean, he was the first person to ever sort of do a, a hologram runway. And yeah, you know, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah a lot li- yeah. and a lot li- and a live runway a live I mean, stream and like live you stream could, your you runway buy from the runway um, yeah. live and like all of these things that that you can make possible but they they weren't the, the yeah. status quo you know they weren't the way to do it and I just I love that kind of rule breaking to in in reality it's to help a customer and it's to kind of give a customer a better experience that's ultimately what he was doing and that's what I really really took from from that experience in my own little way. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think he was way ahead, way ahead of his time and also like Instagram and TikTok or whatever that didn't exist at that time. For sure. You know? And, and so I think that you, you have different tools now in, in order to do that. Yes. And I think he was with, with, he was very resourceful and industrious with, with what he had at the time. And, and it was very interesting to work in the design team at this time, because he always tried to bring in like music and art and it wasn't just fashion. And that's yeah. something that, that was even more inspiring to me, the fact that it, it created a world rather than just a, a category. Yeah. So how did you know it was time to leave? I think I, I'd been there quite a long time. I'd been there for uh, just over seven years. For seven, um, fashion, seven years is like 70 years. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I was I was um, sort of a, a pensioner of, <laughs> of fashion at that time. I was like, okay, I've really got to go. I, I think it was because I felt like I really had accomplished what I set out to to do and I really felt like I knew a lot about I mean of course you never know everything and I'm learning every single day and every single second but I really felt that at that company at that moment I felt like I'd really absorbed so much and I was ready for something new and I really like to challenge myself as much as I can I think it's just my inner personality wanting to to learn and develop and so I I actually took a trip to New York it wasn't to explore work opportunities but I just took a trip to New York because I love New York and I happened to to meet I actually can't remember how I did it but I happened to meet somebody that said you should meet the guys at Rag and Bone right and so I ended up saying oh actually I'm in town like you know I'm I'm sort of looking for something new do you want to meet I also met with the RRL team at Ralph they wanted me to join their team and um I actually felt like I I, I loved RRL at the time yeah. but um, I just felt maybe it was a bit limiting. It was like just working with vintage and replicating. Whereas when I met the guys at Rag and Bone, it was an amazing time for them. And, and it was like really growing. And they were just like, oh, we just need kind of some experience and we need some help. And it was, they were like, we could kind of do every, anything and everything. And I just thought, okay, whoa, I want to be part of that. Because I've been seven years in a very sort of, you know, corporate established company. Yeah. And this just felt very exciting to me. So I started as um, head of menswear at Rag and Bone. Oh, wow. I was then uh, head of women's and men's and denim and, you know. And so when you moved to women's, that was your first time working on women's wear. Yeah, was it completely it was different? To- totally okay. different. It was something that I didn't set out to do. Actually, I was only wanting to be a menswear designer. I was just, I just loved menswear. But I saw that at that particular company, the roots was really like the, the own Marcus, who was my boss, he was just obsessed with menswear too. And I just thought yeah. the women's wear should have more of this androgynous kind of you know feel and and so I thought it was a natural um way to kind of try women's wear and so I I kind of headed up both departments and there was you know a great crossover between the two having one leader I guess so yeah it was it was 
actually a really nice way to get into women's wear because it was based around men's wear. <laughs> exactly. It's it sort of men's wear, women's wear. Exactly. <laughs> and you were living in the States at the time? For when yeah. You, and, yeah. What was, so, and what was that like? Did you travel all over? Yes. Yes. I traveled all over. I've tried to take advantage of um, the fact of living in the US. I think I was there again seven years. So um, it was, it was again, a really nice length of time for me to, to be in New York. And I took as many trips as, as possible. And I, I mean, I love America. I just think it's such a fascinating country. <laughs> it's so huge and vast and everything is it's so huge. Different. Yeah. Everywhere you go, it's just totally different. And I just, I really love the kind of entrepreneurial spirit that you, that, that everyone seems to have in the US, in the US, in the UK, it's very different. But in the US, yeah, it's it, everyone is just so encouraging and supportive. And yeah, it's I just I love coming here. So when I when I lived there, I yeah took as many trips to different states as I could to try and get a you know lay of the land. What trips blew your mind the most? I mean, to be very obvious here, I'm going to say that my trip to Marfa. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. I, mean, there, I took many many trips that were amazing, but one that really stood out to me was my trip to to Marfa in Texas and I did it with a, a friend of mine and it was in t- 2016 that I, I took the trip and we sort of did a bit of a road trip you know we drove around Texas a little bit and ended up in Marfa and it was the time in in my career that I was thinking about what my next step was and yeah. should I should I do something that's that's for myself that I tr- you know it's pure purely my vision, something that I truly believe in. And I was sort of toying with the idea because I I traveled a lot, not just within the US, but I traveled back to the UK a lot, to Asia, all over the world. And I'd probably travel at least once a month. For me, that was a real problem because I couldn't pack efficiently. (laughs) I didn't want to take a hundred different things that did a hundred different jobs. When you're traveling cross across different climates and seasons in in you know if you're going from the US I don't know from Arizona where it's really hot and you're going to I don't know Scotland where it's raining and freezing <laughs> I was like how can I pack for all of these things and especially when you're stopping off at different things along the way and also how do you go through with hand luggage <laughs> yeah because like immigration in the US took hours so I was toying with this like this problem that I had actually as a customer and I was just thinking to myself, like, how do I, how do I create something that, because there is a gap in the market for women. I was just like, yeah. it was clear to me having, having worked in menswear for so long, having been newly introduced to, to working in women's wear, there's a real problem. It's either fashion or it's, it's function. Right. And it's just, there's so much kind of sort of theater and, and drama behind women's wear, but was anyone thinking about the customer? And so I was just like, <laughs> oh, I was toying with all of these ideas. I was like, I just need something that I could kind of, that could be multifunctional, that could be adapted across different temperatures and and different sort of environments and also occasions. Like you want to pack for different occasions. Maybe you have a dinner, maybe you're hiking, I don't know, whatever you're doing. And so I, anyway, long-winded story. Sorry, Laura. No. (laughs) I went to Marfa um, with a friend of mine and I had all these ideas and, and sort of questions going through my head. And the reason we went to Marfa was because I'm a huge fan of, of Donald Judd's um um work and process it's not and, just and you'd work. been to you'd been to his apartment or his building in yes um, in New York. yeah yes exactly um and I used to always go to Dia Beacon and you know yeah. all of those kind of guys with the Dan Flavin and, and yeah. Richard Sarah and I was I was a real fan of the kind of you know minimalist 
uh, modernist movement um, of US of American artists. And so Marfa was kind of this, this fun trip that me and my friend wanted to take. And I was just very intrigued to do this sort of pilgrimage to Judd's um, process because he's incredibly prolific across writing, across sculpture, across woodcutting, across furniture. And the products, the product of his work is not always my, I don't always love it, but I love the kind of reductive and the, the and the sort of simple outcome of, of all of his different mediums, I suppose. And so I was standing in his architecture studio and looking at one of his his desks that that were just absolutely beautiful, understated, really clean lines, really beautifully executed and, and simplified. But I kind of looked underneath and there were all of these hidden compartments that were not visible just from you know the outside and so I just had this like very strange feeling and I, I it was like this weird like burning that went through my stomach <laughs> into my head and I was just like oh my god I need to create a product that that is this but in clothing that is completely multifunctional that looks very sort of simple and clean and minimal and reductive but beautiful but that I could actually, as a customer, adapt to whatever I wanted to do. Like, for example, this desk, you could put stuff all over, but then you could you could tidy it up and you could hide something there and you could pull this thing out and do that. And I was just like, I need I need products to do that for me. And I just was like, I am going to do this brand. And I just, for some and did reason- you know it was ja- Did you know it was jackets? I mean, were you that? Were you I that think it was of- because I, I love outerwear. I think yeah. it was, for me- because Marfa Stance is a concept. It's not um, a fashion brand for me. It's a it's a design concept. It's a way of introducing something to your lifestyle that you can build, adapt. Well, you can, this is our tagline, essentially, create, update, renew. So you, yeah. you create it yourself, you update it when you want to, you know, go to a different climate or, or activity, and then you renew it through the rest of your life by by changing it up and adding different things to it and reversing it and all that stuff which which, by the way is like a completely revolutionary idea in fashion and I can tell you like I remember when Albert Elbaz I remember seeing him speak about a collection I don't know 10-15 years ago we got to sneak in and watch us talk to the team about the sales team and he said you know every single piece here is meant to go with the last five seasons of work. I mean, that that's what the, that's what this is. And and it was the most like mind blowing thing because nobody thinks that way in fashion, you know, it's kind of like yep. clear out everything from last year and let's start over. You exactly. Know? And it's exactly. so wrong, you know, it, it's so wrong. And, and just by working for different brands, seeing that seasonal collection after seasonal collection, the kind of and, and by the time I left New York, we were doing like eight seasons or something. <laughs> I know. And I think I just, I was just like, this is just like ludicrous. What, what are we even designing what are, right what now? What are we doing? Yeah, I didn't even know what I was designing anymore. I was yeah. like, I just don't even like anything because I just don't even know what, I, I can't even think. <laughs> and so for me, like this whole Martha experience of, of taking, and this is what I loved about who Judd was. He took himself out of the circuit and he just took himself to this remote yeah. destination and created this community based around something that he truly believed in yeah and was incredibly prolific by being in those conditions and I think that I took my I wanted to take myself out of this kind of you know fashion world and just create something that that was completely different that was based around the idea of of renewing a piece creating a piece yourself 
expressing your own identity, not what the designer wants to do. It's it's exactly. what the customer wants. Creating this, this kind of blank canvas for a customer to adapt the piece for, for whoever they are and wherever they go, not just for the season and what the trend is. Like for me, that's just completely, it, it's, it's not relevant. So I yeah. wanted to create something that was truly relevant to people's lifestyles. And for me to, to, I went to Italy, I went to my factories that I used to work with. And I said, look, this is not going to be easy because it's not the normal way of doing things. There are no, there's going to be no seasons. Everything's seasonless. Everything can be built up for winter and stripped back down for spring. The calendar, we're not going to have a calendar. It's going to be when we need to add things, we're going to add things. When we need to develop things, we're going to develop things. And it's going to be a collection of continuity in the sense that the same things that I launched with you now, this was in 2018, we're going to be making these in 2028. Right. You know, it's the same. It doesn't change. What changes is the accessory so that people can keep switching it up. We're going to add new things, of course, but the new things complement the original things. And so you can wear them together. It's a collection of, it's a circular collection in that sense. And also what I was very, very focused on creating was a company which also was responsible. So I wanted to be responsible for all of the fabrics. So our fabrics, we use them up every season by doing patchwork styles. So you'll see quite a lot of color blocking and sort of patchworking in our collection. It's because at the end of our kind of production run, we then take the fabrics and then we reuse them. So we'd never have any waste. It's right. zero waste brand, like That's zero. Insane. Zero. And for me, I also go to the factories and I, I find, and it's funny you mentioned um, Lanvin there because actually our new shilling collar color is this pale blue and it was left over from a Lanvin production from, from <laughs> three years ago. And I just saw this box. I was like, what's in that box? And they were like, oh, it's just, you know, leftover. We're going to throw it away. And I was like, nope, nope. <laughs> so now it's become our best selling color. And we've oh my God. So we make these things now that are collectible because it's, it, there's a finite amount of them. Yeah. To answer your initial question, <laughs> what was the most horrible <laughs> trip you ever took? I've got to say it's Martha because it, it completely inspired me to change my life, jump off the merry-go-round that I was on, move back to London and start again, essentially self-funded on my own. That was, that's, I just, I mean, it was the the biggest risk of my life. So I either <laughs> was going to totally blame Donald Judd for everything or, or thank him for everything. <laughs> Well, and how long after that trip did you actually move back to, to England? Um, it was probably about 18 months later. Uh -huh. I gave actually a 12 month notice period. I think I quit in 2017. I left in um, 2018, the end of uh, right at the beginning of 2018. Um, and then I took the year to develop the brand, actually. So I didn't launch until kind of midway through 2019. But I took I took a year and a bit to kind of really really have la a laser focused vision on what I wanted to do without being influenced by anyone else. Just really what, what the world doesn't need another fashion brand. So what, how can I create something that actually is genuinely needed? And I just felt like in the women's wear space, in the luxury women's wear space, this concept was needed. And we are very, well, we are validated every yeah. day. Exactly. Well, and, I, and, and the thing I think that is really interesting about it, I think just, I've just come back from market and, you know, you hear you, we have eight or 10 appointments to, a day and you have a salesperson from a, you know, from a brand in Milan who is 
Brazilian, <laughs> you know, <laughs> saying these are our best-selling things. You you definitely need to add this to your to your to your buy. And you just are like, I live in North Carolina. You have no idea what my climate is like. You have no idea who my clients are. Yeah. You have no idea what their lifestyle is and what they do. And I think that um, it's a it is extremely unusual to give the power of that to the client and to say like, I mean, and even thinking, you know, thinking about your trip to Marfa, I'm like, I don't even know what the climate is like in Marfa. I don't even know what you would pack for Marfa. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know either. (laughs) But a client will know that and a client will know, exactly. you know, this is where I'm going. This is how I feel on airplanes. This is what I'm going to want. I'm a hiker. I'm not a hiker. I need to go out to dinner. I mean, all the things And, and it's totally in the control of the client. Exactly. And this is why I love doing these trunk shows Yeah, because I get to go around the US in particular, because the US is actually 65% of our business, which is massive. I didn't really know how that happened, but it it happened totally organically. Let's go back to when you left Rag and Bone and you moved back to Great Britain. And did you have a a mentor? Did you talk to people about doing this? And you said it's self-funded. I mean, tell me how you did that. I mean, how did you figure that out? I thought I could shut my eyes and just, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think I, I, I thought I was, you know, everyone thought I was a bit nuts. I, you know, sometimes when you just have this itch and you just have to, you, you sort of become a little blinkered. And even though, you know, people were telling me, don't do it. It's really difficult. I mean, people were telling me, don't do it out of pure love not not to sort of not from a competitive like you know yeah, yeah. We, like really was, we don't want to see you get hurt yeah it was purely to protect me and <laughs> and I can't tell you the number of people that were just you know really honest and just like look you're a great designer but I just you've never run a business before like it's a really tough <laughs> it's a really tough market out there it's a tough world don't do it I I think when someone tells me don't do it or you can't do it, it makes me want to do it more. Um, I think for me, it was actually the best thing for people to have said, because I, I really, I really knew that this was needed. It wasn't, if I was just going to create something that, you know, already existed, then yes, that feedback was fully valid and they, they were right. But I think because I knew this was something that didn't exist in the market and that was really needed and that people's mentality and, and, the, they really wanted to like kind of live in a more um, responsible and conscious way. Mm-hmm. I think, well, I suppose that happened actually during the pandemic. That hadn't really happened yet when I launched yeah. the brand, but people were starting to think more in that way in in 2018. So anyway, I decided that I wasn't wasn't going to listen, and I was going to do it. Um, and I just said to my partner who you know without his you know support I wouldn't have been able to do it. He said you know look if you've got to do this, you've got to do this. I'll support you. You know, you don't have to, you know, I'll cover the mortgage. Like (laughs) just do it. So I, I was like, okay, I have, I have the sort of, you know, the, the foundation to be able to do this. I'd worked incredibly hard to, to financially be able to do this. And I saved up all my money. It was my own money. I was like, okay, I'm either going to, what am I going to do with this? This is what I really want to do. I really have this strong feeling. I'm just going to take this risk. And I had a, I had a, actually the, the founder of um, Oliver Brown was Adam Brown. He was um, a very, very, very helpful mentor in the, in the early days. My partner at the time was designing for him. And so he was very, very kind in offering me some really good advice. And one thing that he said to me that, that was um, a piece of advice I always remember. He was like, you are no longer a designer. You are a salesperson. And <laughs> I was like, what? I didn't really understand what he meant. 
now I 100% understand what he meant. I am no longer a designer. I am a, I, I am like, I just, yeah. I sell. This is, yeah. this is what I do. This is my brand. Well, I really, well, because that's the ultimate goal, right? Well, if, if I don't have any customers, I don't have any <laughs> exactly. brands. So for me, and I, and I believe in this concept so much. I live by this concept that I want to show other people like that actually it's so much better for your life. So you can yeah. have less and but do more with it and travel. And it, it's just, and you can also have these pieces that are like super special and, and you're helping fund these amazing communities in Italy. And like, yeah. you know, we're, we're really, I hope trying to do, you know, really good stuff. So anyway, I'm, I'm hyper passionate about it. So for me, this, it's not even selling. It's just like yeah. trying to tell everyone um, it's sharing really it's sharing it's sharing yeah. so anyway so he he was really he was really helpful you know he gave me a couple of um really great meetings and you know very generous with his time and he kind of gave me some you know i ideas of of how to kind of stay sane and <laughs> um, <laughs> what were what those I'd love to know that <laughs> <laughs> and then you start in georgia you started with ecom yes i was very 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 clear that I wanted to be a direct consumer brand. I've been at companies that were mostly sort of wholesale led. Yeah. For me being on my own, it was incredibly important to reach the customer myself and to talk to the customer myself yeah. and to have this laser focus of what the brand is without somebody else's cadence of, of what sold better in their store and like blah, blah. Yeah. I really, really, really wanted to start direct. And I think for me it was the right thing to do because it really authentically and organically grew my brand in these communities that are, are loyal supporters of Marcus Sons. And I think if I, if I hadn't taken that route, it wouldn't have, have grown like this in this way. But probably after maybe 18 months, I wanted to partner with very, a very selective set of, set of partners that could really understand the brand and really celebrate the brand and really introduce the brand in the right way to their to their communities yeah. and their networks so 18 months in I started to sell to a very few boutique stores around the world the first the first stores were in South Korea Japan um, a few in Europe and um, and Netta Porte and Matches they were the first like group I still live by the same principle that I want to work with with key partners that that really can can educate the consumer on this concept, not just to buy clothes. And Laura, you are the only stockist in the whole of the USA. And that Thank is intentional. You. That is intentional <laughs> because I believe that you and your, I, I absolutely love what you do. And I believe that you are the right partner to tell your network and community about Marfa Stunts in the right way. Um, and I think that I'm, I'm incredibly happy and, and, well, supportive of what you do as well so I think thank that you well it it seems to work because we have no more inventory we've sold oh really oh <laughs> okay great <laughs> so I'm glad you're coming for the trunk show <laughs> but thank you it means that means the world and I appreciate it so much what has been the most meaningful part of the journey so far I think for me it it's the it's the it's the it's our customers it's yeah. the, it's it's so meaningful to me to see people really wear Marfa stance and really love wearing Marfa stance and really living by the concept. I love it when people send me pictures of their suitcase <laughs> and they've got <laughs> one piece, five collars, three yeah. hoods, a liner and a parka. And this is all they packed 
and they're going for like a month to I don't know wherever they're going yeah and they really live it that's all they take plus I don't know the t-shirts shirts jeans whatever but in terms of a an outerwear offering that's all they need and they can go across all these different places within one month and they are like this is great this is exactly all I need so for me, that is the most meaningful thing. And it's also the just the validation and the acknowledgement from people when they then recommend via word of mouth to their friends. This yeah. is for me the most, it's, yeah, I have so much gratitude for everyone that has done that. And so many people do that. I think our business has grown strong in a in an in a authentic and genuine way, strongly through the word of mouth. Yeah, no, no bots here. These are real people. <laughs> they're, yeah, they're, exactly. They're real. Like we, you know, I really, really wanted to, to not pay. I mean, we don't pay influencers. We don't yeah. do any of that stuff. It's not what I believe in. For me, it's so sincere when actually it's, it's customers really telling other, their, their friends. And then somebody sees somebody wearing it and stops them in the street and says, where's that? from and they say oh it's this brand from the UK and like you should check them out and you know we we have so many wonderful customers that, that are just so incredibly supportive and for me that's the most meaningful thing that's, I mean everyone looks great in everything too I've got to say and that's <laughs> really very validating and it's it's something that you know when we launch a new you know product I'm actually wearing our new sweater that you know you take the neck off you oh. can take the sleeves off it can be oh. five different things um when people start to kind of collect from us and they're like oh, we just brought out this sweater there's not many pieces they collect in the bag and you know all this kind of thing so for me that's that's the most amazing thing and and I love I love what's happening right now in especially in the U U.S. where people are actually inviting us into their home to host yeah. an event with us and for me that's just it, it couldn't get more meaningful than that agreed did you ever feel like you had gone in the wrong direction were there ever times when you thought what have I done I mean, honestly, no, um, <laughs> honestly, no, I think, I think from a product perspective, I'm very clear on what I, what I want to design and what I want to produce. And it's, it's, it doesn't happen that often because I don't think it's needed when it's needed. I of course do it. We've just, we're actually just launching a waterproof raincoat and waterproof hood. Cause I think that was missing from our collection, something fully waterproof. But no, I, I mean, it was, it was a, it was a tricky journey, Laura, because, you know, I launched it sort of late in 2019 yeah. and the pandemic happened early 2020. So I really haven't had time to make that many mistakes in, in a <laughs> catastrophic way, because there's been all these crazy world <laughs> situations like Brexit and the pandemic that have kind of distracted me somewhat. But, from but also, <laughs> I think that, weirdly, like that also gave you an, an audience that was not distracted by other things. Exactly. I mean, it, yes, in, in a not to be in any way insensitive, the pandemic actually helped us be more yeah. meaningful to the to the community that, that were interested in Marfa Sans. Um, and it also gave us more time to be able to connect and really interact. So that I have, uh, you know, that I have some moments within the pandemic that, of course, I was um, thinking, what on earth have I done? And <laughs> you know, how on earth am I going to, you know, get out of this situation? But in for the most part, it was actually a really incredible time for us. And, and in the sense that we were really connecting with our customers in a, in a way that perhaps we wouldn't have been able to do if, if there wasn't a pandemic, because we would have been yeah. running, running, running. And I think it made also, it, it really reinforced actually what we were trying to do. Um, and I had created the company with this, this stance in mind of responsible living, 
buying less, but buying things that do more for you giving back to a community like we always like even before the pandemic we were doing um we always um do a, a sort of each month a, a donation to some organization that that we're um promoting on our end and mm-hmm. whenever we do a pop-up within the local community we do a give back so we were already doing this before the pandemic happened and I think when the pandemic happened people really had this mindset shift of you know we want to be better humans and I think that that what we were trying to do was really resonated with a lot of people and I think a lot of people really wanted to support I mean young brands I mean particularly ones that had just launched so there was a a real a real sense of support from from people and particularly being a female founder I think that there was a lot of women in, in our kind of network that that really wanted the brand to to you know succeed so. Well, and I think ultimately too, just the product itself is comforting and, it, yes. and it's soft and it's light and it feels like a baby yes. blanket and it feels it's yes. lovable. It's really lovable. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And you know, I mean, that, that's the really cool in it. You know, yeah. they, they weren't just like walking around because all you do is walk around the park with your dog. <laughs> exactly. So I think people really wanted to like have a kind of cool coat. That... <laughs> do you have any recommendations for young entrepreneurs or people that want to start a business and don't know how? I mean, I have probably, um, if you have, you got five hours, <laughs> I can give you some advice uh, over the course of five hours and some pitfalls over the course of five hours. <laughs> I mean, I would say it's, it's a tricky one to kind of advise people because every journey is so different. And I think that, you know, you, you, this is something, another piece of advice someone gave me that, you know, really don't follow anyone else's path. You've got to really follow your own. And that's easier said than done. That's, that's, you know, that sort of, it's very it's very it's very scary to do this and I think it's it's a very brave thing and a create courageous thing if you do decide to do it and it's easy to look around at what other people are doing and get you know panicked and, and want to just follow their path but I think you've really it, you've got to be incredibly confident about your idea or what it is you want to create and you've just got to stick by it and you've got to have a laser focus and you've got to just not be influenced by anything else and you've just got to figure out how to be very consistent and very clear with your messaging of whatever you want to produce and create. Um, and building a business, you have to you have to be aware that there's an incredible amount of sacrifice and the commitment is extreme. And I think if you're not prepared for that, then it's not going to work. But I think you have to you just have to wear every hat. You have to suddenly be a be a salesperson. You have to be the financial director. You have to be the HR representative, you have to be the shipping expert. <laughs> yeah. Or not in my case, but the shipping person. <laughs> you have to just be able to adapt and problem solve. I think that's my biggest piece of advice to anyone. Find creativity in problem solving. <laughs> well, and I, and I think, Georgia, you seem like you were sort of born as a problem solver and that sort of person. But I also think it's interesting that it sounds like all of your experiences before this really coalesced to enable you to do this, you know? And I think that people, I think young people especially forget that, that even bad experiences or so-so experiences really push you further on your path to to what it is you really should be doing. Absolutely. And I think if you don't kind of, you know, go through and make mistakes throughout your life, you're never going to know what is the right path and I think that there's yeah there's 
there's success in failure. I know that's sort of yeah, yeah. Any sense, but there really is. And I think I really believe that. And I think that, you know, you be be prepared to fail. And I think it's yeah, it feels good sometimes to make a mistake and really learn from it. I mean, you don't want to make too many, but, <laughs> but I think it, it's sometimes good to make some. And yeah, I think it's just how how you deal with the repercussions is is what makes you stronger. podcast is called what we wore and we ask everybody um on the podcast what they wore to the prom and I know they didn't have proms in Cambridge <laughs> do you have a favorite well do you have a favorite dress you've worn or something you've worn jacket or or do you have a favorite piece that you've made I think or, or a place when you felt your best you're like you felt your your prom best <laughs> oh my goodness all I can think of is the worst things <laughs> I can tell you like, well, I'll tell you one best and one worst. <laughs> I, we, we, in, in Cambridge, actually we did have, cause I went to school in Cambridge and we, we had the kind of, it's called the May ball. It's, I oh. guess it's the equivalent of the prom. And I thought I was really cool to go to the vintage shop and, and get this like vintage of Vivian Westwood. Ooh. Thing. It was, no, it's not, ooh, unfortunately. I, it should have been wool. <laughs> but actually I just thought I was just very cool and just, and I, I, it was just so not me. And it had these, like, it was, it was, the same color as like, I don't know, you know, a Band-Aid. It was kind of like that strange, like funny pinky color. Okay. Iridescent. And it's ruched, skin tight. So you like, look nude. So I just looked nude with loads of like ruchy, rolly kind of, I don't know, like lumpy, bumpy things. These big gloves. So I thought I was being like very sort of ball ready, but just I oh my really not nail it and I turned <laughs> up and you know when everyone's in these beautiful gowns and looking so ele- elegant and I just came in looking like I mean yeah I, I really I just I just got quite drunk and, <laughs> and did your parents what, what did your parents say when you were you were getting ready to leave they well, were like my well my mom great. was you know, she was just like what you look like a total state what are you doing and that made me want to do it because I was like oh she just doesn't understand it's Vivian Westwood um <laughs> Oh, I was being all awesome. punk and yeah, it didn't, it didn't work at all. So hence I have no photos of that night. Um, <laughs> I hope no one else does. <laughs> exactly. We're going to check. Yeah. Oh, God. I love that. Oh, thank all you, right. Georgia. Thank Thanks. you very much for everyone. What We Wore is produced by Capital and Balto Creative Media. The original song, Someone So Enchanting, was composed and performed by Britt Drazda. QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com. Network.com.